oh, that's a little bit too far ahead. Um, so he came to Jeremiah and he said, hey, go tell the king of Israel to go to the Rechabites, this family group, and ask them to come into the temple. So invite them in and give them some wine to drink. That's all that God said. So the king went and did that. He obeyed, and he went and found the Rechabites, and he brought them in to the temple, which is pretty cool. Could you imagine being a family group, and the king invites you to go have dinner with him? That would be pretty sweet. And so they went into the temple, and they were going to have um, some wine to drink, but this is what they replied in verse 6. It says, We do not drink wine because our forefather, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us a command, neither you or your descendants must ever drink wine. Also, you must never build houses, sow seed, or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things, but you must always live in tents. And then you will live a long time in the land where you are nomads. So they obeyed everything that Jehonadab, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? Like, you can't ever have a house, you have to live in a tent, and you have to live in as a nomad, you can't have farms, just live off the land. And all of these, these rules, but they said, we've never, we've never disobeyed them. Our wives, our sons, our daughters have never disobeyed this. And so a kind of a cool fact with that is that when Babylon took over Israel, they started with the land that the Rechabites were living in. And so since they were living in tents, they're able to easily evacuate and not be taken over. But I think there's three things that we can find about commitment from the way that the Rechabites left lived. The first one is that commitment is not always convenient. Commitment is not always convenient. See, Jehonadab, their forefather, he gave this command to his family 240 years before the time of Jeremiah. So they, like generation after generation, follow this command, like flawlessly. They said that nobody has ever broken this command. And so for 240 years, they followed this. That's insane, isn't it? Especially if you don't really understand why the person commanded you that in the first place. Like I, as a kid, had enough trouble obeying my parents, and they told me directly something, and I saw, like, the consequence. But these people obeyed, like, their, their grandpa's grandpa. That's pretty awesome. Like, the amount of commitment that they had to what their forefather had, had commanded them to was incredible but not convenient. They had every excuse to break this commitment. Like, they had been kicked out of their country, even though they were nomads, and they fled to Jerusalem, and that's when the king found them. And the king, who was a great, like, he's their leader, he presents them with this opportunity to break their commitment, doesn't he? He says, here, here's some wine to drink. And it's not I'm not talking about the fact that it was wine, but the fact that he was presenting them an opportunity to break their commitment. And out of any time in their life, especially if they didn't even know their forefather that committed or like commanded this, out of any time in their life, this would have been a good opportunity to commit it or to break their commitment, right? But they said no, and they were honest in front of a king who told them, drink. And they were honest and said, no, our forefather commanded us to do this and we're not going to break it. We haven't done it for 240 years and we're not going to do it now. That is incredible, you guys. How many times in our lives do we break commitments because it looks like a good opportunity? Just because it's a good opportunity doesn't mean we go back on our word. In our culture of convenience, 
it counteracts a culture of commitment. Our present day culture of convenience counteracts a culture of commitment. Isn't that true? We live in a culture that's like so easy, like we want fast food, nothing wrong with fast food, but we want fast food and we want it now, and like we don't like want forethought into this. Like you can just choose what you want at any street corner, right? Like we have a culture of convenience, but that doesn't, it's not conducive to a culture of commitment. And it's not easy to live in a culture of commitment. And it wasn't easy at the time of the Rechabites to live in a culture of commitment, but they succeeded. And we can, we can look up to them and that. Sometimes in our culture, we make soft commitments. Has anyone ever done that? Where you, and I found myself doing this, where I make like a, well, maybe I'll go to that, but I kind of like leave it open. So if I'm tired the night of, or like something better comes along, then I don't have to actually feel bad about saying no because I only said maybe. <laughs> who's ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but who's ever done that before? I have, and it's not good. Or like, so here's from my past. I think when I noticed that this was a cultural thing for the first time, or it like really opened my eyes to it, was I was in a small group, and there was, this was back when I was in college, so in Minnesota, the academic advisor of the Chi Alpha that I went to there, um, the academic advisor's wife led a small group Bible study for some of the girls, and she would feed us beforehand, which was super nice as a college student to get a free, incredible meal. So the day before, she would just want a head count of who all was going to be there so she could make enough food for everyone or not make too much food. But I showed up one day, and I was the first one there, and she was like, Aaron, what's, well, like, with all due respect, but what's wrong with your generation? <laughs> I was like, what? She goes, you and one other person are the only one who got back to me about coming tonight. And this is like a pattern I notice in, in your generation. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. We don't like committing to things. And that's a problem. In James 5.12, it says that above all, my brothers, do not swear either on heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. So you, not, you may not fall under condemnation. Now I was looking at like why, because it's a little weird to swear on heaven, and like why God was saying that in this verse. And so the culture of this time, people would swear on something bigger than them to make their word worth it because people didn't trust each other. And so you almost had to swear on something like, I swear on heaven that I'll do that. And that means that you're actually going to do it because you don't swear on something if you're going to break it. But what God was saying is don't swear on anything bigger than you because you're your character of commitment should be strong enough that people trust your word and trust your yes and your no. And I'm not saying that we can never back out on commitments because life does happen and people get sick or things come up. But what I'm saying is we need to ask ourselves genuinely, am I a person that people can trust my character and when, my yes, when I give a yes or a no, they can trust that it's a yes or a no? Does that make sense? Is my yes, yes, and is my no, no? God has called us to be people of commitment, and that reflects his commitment, and that brings us to our second point. The second thing we can learn from this Bible story is that blessing follows commitment. And you may be wondering, like, why, how can I pull that from the story? Well, commitment is a part of God's character, he has said in his word that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he's created a covenant relationship with us, which is a, 
a, a contract almost, like I was saying, that cannot be broken. He will never break. And so when he created that, he, that's like part of his character. And so we can trust 100% that God is who he says he is. Isn't that incredible, you guys? And in a culture that doesn't have commitment, that seems like maybe a foreign concept to us. But God is always who he says he is. And so when you read a promise in God's word that he'll never leave you or forsake you, he'll never just change his mind and decide that you're not worth it. And like you, you could have followed him your whole life and, oh, you can't get to heaven. I just decided you can't. That's not God. That's not his character. And nor will it ever be his character. And he doesn't go back on his word. That's beautiful. And we can count on it. And that's why commitment is important because it's a part of who God is. It's the very nature of the God that we serve, and it's why we can serve him. I'm not about serving a God that just changes his mind and chooses something that he, and, and breaks his promises. That's not who he is. And that's incredible, you guys. And we get a chance as believers, as children of God, to reflect that part of God's nature. And reflect that and show other people who God is by the level of commitment we have. As children of God, blessing follows when we reflect God's character. See, we're no longer in the family of sin and death. Before we were believers in Christ, before we accepted salvation, we were part of the family of sin and death. But when we accepted salvation, we became a part of the family of God. And you, you act like your family, don't you? And so we get a chance to act like the family of God and to reflect God's nature and no longer reflect the nature of sin and death. I like, I like looking at it that way because you, you're reflecting one or the other. And so which one do you want to reflect today? I ask myself that. In um, verse 18 and 19 of Jeremiah 35, it says that um, God noticed the Rechabites and how committed they were. And he basically, he blessed them. And he said, you have obeyed the command of your forefather and followed everything that he ordered you. And my blessing to you, I'm summarizing here, is that you will always have someone in your family that serves me. And I'm going to explain in a little while why that's so incredible. Because it, it maybe doesn't sound as incredible as it is right now, but on the next point I'll explain it. <laughs> but he promised you will always have a descendant in your family line that serves me that believes in me, that has a, relation, a relationship with me. That was the blessing that God gave them because of their commitment. See, blessing or commitment always costs something. And lack of commitment always costs something. So, like last week when we were doing love dating relationships, I shared a little bit of my story and how there was a year in my life that I really felt like God wanted me to commit to a year of singleness and not dating. And at the time, I was like, oh, that's going to be so easy. There's no prospects. And then, like, a few months down the road, I met somebody, and I was like, oh, well, I'll just talk to them. And it's not like we're actually dating. And then I realized that, like, I was totally breaking God's command in my life, and I was breaking a commitment. But the problem was I, like, brought somebody else into that. So then I got the beautiful opportunity of saying, I'm really sorry. This is my fault, and this is on me but I can't do this, I'm breaking a commitment that I made to God, and I'm sorry that I brought you into that. Which was hard, but the beauty is there's a blessing and a cost to everything. So the blessing of that 
was God's protection in my life. And staying committed to the fact that God had called me to singleness was God protected me from a lot of really icky mistakes. And the person that I was seeing, like, was not looking back, not the right choice. But God protected me from that because I obeyed and I stayed committed. The cost was I had to say no to people. And that wasn't fun at the time. But it was totally worth it. When we live in disobedience or lack of commitment, the blessing, if you will, or the nice thing is that we get to do what we want to do when we want to do it. But the cost is so much more. The cost is not living in God's protection or blessing, and we get to face the consequences of our disobedience. And that's not a cost that I want. I want the, the cost to be like a fraction of the blessing. And that's what it is when we live in commitment to God. Is that making sense? So that's our third point. That the cost, there was a cost to lacking commitment. There's always a cost. In Jeremiah 35, 12 through 17, I'm just going to summarize this. Basically, God used the example of the Rechabite family to show all of Israel what it looked like to be committed to something. So Israel had a terrible track record of going like up and down, up and down in their relationship with God, and they would serve God wholeheartedly in one moment, and then all of a sudden they would like start serving false idols, they would like leave their relationship with God, they would um, turn to sin and, and just turn their back on God, but they would expect God's blessing in the same time, and it just doesn't work that way. We can't, like, turn our back on God and expect him to, like, sprinkle his blessings all over our sin. That It just doesn't work that way. And so that's what they had the track record of doing. And so God finally said, hey, this is what commitment looks like. And I've sent to you prophet after prophet after prophet to warn you and say, no, this isn't my best for you. I have blessings for you, but that means you have to make some tough choices and you haven't made those tough choices, and you've continued to serve false gods, and you've been continued to walk away from me, and now I have to surrender you to the consequences that I warned you about because I can't keep blessing you when you're walking away. That's really hard, and we don't like that in our culture. I don't think anyone likes that in any culture, but we don't like that. We don't like that there's tough consequences to our choices, but that's what God warned them about. And God, God like, told them that this was going to happen, and they still didn't listen. The last part of this verse, it says that, in ver the last part of verse 17, it says, I spoke to them, but they did not listen. I called them, but they did not answer. That's really sobering. But then, the beautiful thing is, so right after that happened, Babylon took over Israel. Not right after, but soon after. But remember what God promised the Rechabite family? He would always have someone in their, they would always have someone in their family to serve him. There would always be someone in their family that had a relationship with God. So what happened when Israel went into exile was they didn't have their traditions anymore. They didn't have communities. They were broken up and split up, and it was really hard for them to maintain any relationship with God. And, and that was, like, destructive. But... The Rechabites, God had promised that despite this exile, despite the fact that you're taken over by a different country, I am still going to bless you with relationship with me. That is incredible, you guys. 
God's, even though tough things happen, like, just because we follow God and we live under his protection, he still promised us in his word that we'll go through hard times, but he'll always be with us through those hard times. That's what that promise to the Rechabites meant. This hard time's still going to come, but I will be with you through this whole hard time. That's what happens when we stay committed to God. When we're lacking commitment, it's hard for us to stand strong in faith during hard times. If we don't have commitment even in the small things in life and we think that like only commitment or relationship with God is about the big things and these little tiny areas of my life don't really matter, that's not training us to have commitment in the tough times. We also fall into sin despite our commitment to holiness. And we don't represent, where we represent God poorly. We have that opportunity, like I talked to, or talked about a little bit ago, that we have an opportunity to represent God's character to everyone. And when we don't represent that, people won't know that God's committed to us. And we won't be able to know that God's committed to us. When we act out of God's nature and God's character, not that we're going to be perfect, but when we consistently act out of that, we aren't able to see that God is committed to us. I hope that's making sense, because it makes sense in my mind, but I don't know if it makes sense. Once we, when, our view of, when our view of commitment is not correct or we don't value it, we're not able to value the fact that God is committed to us. We're not able to see that clearly. And if we're not able to see that God is committed to us clearly, then we're not able to trust that he is who he says he is. Every time that God promises something to us, we're not able to trust that he's truthful. Because we start pinning our view of commitment and our view of human nature onto God, which isn't true. So when God says that peace I leave you, peace I give you, we're not able to trust that. When God says that we, we're to fear not, for he is with us, do not be dismayed. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you. We're not able to trust that. He also says that we can trust in him with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in our ways submit and acknowledge him, and he'll make our path straight. That is a promise of God. But if we don't value commitment, how are we able to trust that God's committed to that promise? How are we able to trust that when God says that he loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins so that we may be saved, how are we able to trust that? God's character is always commitment, and that's never going to change. But we have the opportunity to look into ourselves and say, am I somebody who has that character? And we're not going to be perfect, and we're going to mess up, and that's why we have God's grace. Thank the Lord. But we're able to look and say, God, this is who you are, and I want to do the best job that I can do to reflect that. And this isn't a workspace thing. I want you to hear my heart on this. This isn't about, like, working to be the best person in the entire world so that God's pleased with you. He's so pleased with you already. But that's why he, like, he is so in love with you. And he says, like, this is part of my character, and I want you to have that character too because there's blessing in that. And so that's why we live according to God's character, because there's blessing in that, and we get to be like him, and we get to be a part of, re reflect the part of the family that we're already in. 
Olivia, if you want to come up to the piano. I want to close with a few questions, and we're going to do like our closing time a little bit different tonight. The first question that I have um, isn't on this list that is going to be put up in a second, is if you tonight have not known God's committed nature and you've never committed your life to him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And so we're going to have um, some of our staff praying for people in the back of the room. And if you want to commit your life to the Lord, if you want to accept salvation um, and become a part of the family of God now, um, why don't you come to the back during this end time and we're going to pray for you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But the first um, or the second question, I guess, is I want you guys during this time, we're just going to have quiet piano music just to reflect and ask yourself, what is my view of God's commitment? How do I view God's commitment truly? Do I trust that he is who he says he is? Or is that something that I haven't really learned to trust? The second question is, is there an area in my life that I lack commitment? Is my yes dependable? Is my no dependable? These are tough questions. Has God called me to do something or to not do something that I haven't put into action yet? If so, what's my next step? I encourage you to write down what your next step is. Maybe it's something that God has put on your heart and loved in your relationships to make a commitment to and you haven't put it in action yet. Or maybe you've, you've um, been reading your Bible lately and you really feel like God is calling you um, to something greater and you haven't put it into action yet. Maybe you feel like in the last weeks that we've had, or the last months that we've had missionaries come and speak, that maybe God is calling you to missions and you have been too scared to put that into action, been maybe too scared to, to think of what the cost of that might be. I want to encourage you to come up with your next step tonight. I'm just going to give you guys a little time to reflect on that.